0: Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. Thomas Costelli here today with Alina Trigub, former tax accountant and passive real estate investor turned real estate syndicator who now helps her investors navigate the world of passive real estate investing. Over the last few years, she's helped her investors participate in offerings of over 1,200 apartment units, a $10 million storage fund, and a $10 million mobile home park fund. In today's episode, we discuss the benefits of real estate syndication for passive investors, important factors to consider when doing due diligence on a sponsor, market, and property, plus much more. Hey everyone, I want to let you know that we'll be hosting the first ever tax and legal virtual summit specifically for real estate investors coming up Saturday, February 29th and Sunday, March 1st. At this event, you'll learn about lucrative tax and asset protection strategies from the top legal and tax experts in the industry. Topics include... The real estate professional status, cost segregation studies, 1031 exchanges, self-directed retirement accounts, entity structuring, estate planning, and so much more. Don't miss this incredible event designed to save you thousands in taxes and help protect the assets and wealth you work so hard to build. Head over to www com and use promo code RECPA for 50% off your tickets. Again, that's www.taxandlegalsummit.com and use promo code RECPA for 50% off your tickets. See you there. But for now, we're going to jump right into today's episode. Oh yeah, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. We understand that you used to be a former tax accountant. Could you give our listeners a little bit of information on your background and how you got into real estate syndication?
2: absolutely thomas and thank you very much for having me on uh so i when i got my undergrad degree in accounting many years ago uh just because i thought it was a good field to be in to get a job which was very true i got my first job uh before i even graduated with a degree but i never really liked accounting or taxes so after Mm -hmm. working in uh public uh, big five at the time and the private world for a while. I realized that I needed to switch the field because I just I wasn't enjoying being a tax accountant. Um, Mm -hmm. So I left uh, that field and moved into software development um, about 18, 19 years ago. So and have been in software development ever since.
0: Nice. Nice. How did that end up transitioning you into uh, what? How did you end up getting to real estate syndication?
2: Sure, so even though I'm a former tax accountant, taxes have always been um, on my mind for for many years. And especially as my husband and I were growing in our career ladder and getting into higher and higher tax brackets, I kept thinking on how we can minimize taxes, what are the ways, what can we do um, as 2W2 professionals to to change that. And real estate kept coming up and I, I like real estate as a field, So finally, about 10 years ago, I started reading about real estate and digging deeper to find out what are actually the ways that one can invest. And at that time, I also started looking for properties locally where I live, which is in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. but the numbers would never make sense. It's been always, you know, the numbers are very high and I could not find properties where it would like make sense where I would have some returns. So I decided to start looking out of state and I started reading about out of state investing and came across um, the world of syndications. I um, uh, decided to read, read up more on it and do some research and after doing the additional research, I thought it was a viable option and um, I took action and um, found a, a few operators on bigger pockets, reached out, found some deals, and then, after evaluating, invested in one, and then another, and another, and kind of escalated after that. Um, And, you know, so I started out essentially as an equity department and someone else's syndications. And after doing that for a few years and realizing all the benefits, not only the residual income, but on top of it, you're getting the tax benefit. Granted, you're a passive investor, but as a passive investor, you get the benefits of depreciation and you're getting passive losses, especially at the beginning that when they're higher, and on top of it, they could include the cost segregations with accelerated depreciation, so it was just tremendous. So those two huge benefits um, made me realize that this is something that I need to bring up the market because um, none of my surrounding, at least friends, family, people I know, ever heard of syndication. So I started my company with that whole purpose of educating people and um, helping them get acclimated and start passively investing in real estate because a lot of folks. Are interested in real estate but very few want to actually buy a property place tenant and be responsible for those phone calls at nights and having to fix yeah. someone's issues uh, where the syndication uh, allows you to become investor uh, with very little to no involvement you just essentially review the document and then make your decision and invest and that's it so essentially you're doing it with uh, limited interruption to your day-to-day life, whatever you're doing, which is a huge benefit and uh, a huge opportunity for folks that are very busy with their personal life, businesses, adventures, professional life, family, and so forth.
0: Yeah, Absolutely, it's the blessing of syndication. So when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're involved in the syndication now, you've transitioned from um, just being a passive investor to now partici- taking a more active role. What role do you typically play in the syndication process?
2: Sure. So uh, my role involves uh, multiple things, which include from being the investor liaison, uh, helping investors get acclimated, educate them on the process, um, helping them to decide to partner up with us, essentially explaining how syndications work, to doing due diligence um, on the asset, on operators, and on overall. process and the market to decide whether a specific market and a particular investment is a viable option for myself and my investors and whether we're going in to work on it. And then once we're in, it's essentially uh, playing a full role of being the investor liaison, um, explaining investors how the investment is going, uh, providing them updates, uh, helping them if they have self-directed accounts, helping them with their administrative stuff. And uh be being their connection to the investment overall.
0: Got it, got a lot of investor relations in there. It's always exciting stuff. Um yeah. so when when you <clears throat> so you mentioned that you've uh that you, you do so you help basically help your investors get acclimated and do the due diligence on the operators. Um when what type of due diligence, like as a passive investor, what what aspects, what are the most important aspects of uh, of a deal to do? Like, I guess, what are the most important due diligence aspects that uh, uh, a passive investor has to be concerned with?
2: Absolutely. So I would say uh, there are three important things that investors need to be concerned with. Number one is the operator. Number mm-hmm. two is the market, and number three is the deal itself and uh i always always suggest to passive investors to start with the operator because Absolutely. operator is everything mm-hmm. um if you have a good operator let's say you have a good operator but bad asset you are still in a better place as opposed to having a bad operator but good asset because you Absolutely. know a bad operator can turn good asset into a bad one but a good operator will take care of that bad asset and we'll make sure to turn it into um, a good asset. So always start your due diligence uh, by uh, speaking with the operator, um, asking them uh, questions that are important to you as a person and that that are important to you um, as someone approaching a business owner. So uh, syndications uh, and buying investments is a business. So ask them questions that are relevant to their business, business model. How long have they been in business? Uh, How long have they been doing this? Are they concentrating on one particular asset class or multiple? How many markets are they in? And then look at the geography. Are these markets more or less nearby? Are they overlapping or are these markets all over the place? Say, you know, One is on East coast, one is in on West Coast. But, you know, that may not be the, the best option. I mean, in some cases, they do have teams and boots on the grounds but in general, if their markets are co-located or close to each other, that tells you that that operator is looking to grow or is growing in a specific area, building their team, and have some of the resources overlap so they can go into these multiple mini markets that are close to each other. Ask them about their strategy. Have they been implementing the same strategy, similar strategy on multiple assets, or does it differ from asset to asset? what's the approach uh, to the type of asset they're going in, the type of areas they're going in. And then based on the answers, just make a decision for yourself. Uh, Does the strategy that this operator is implementing, does it align with my values, my beliefs, and my interests as a passive investor? Is that in line with my expectations? Ask them uh, the typical turnaround of a deal, uh, what what are their plans, um, whether they typically have multiple exit strategies or a single one. And and then based on those answers, because, you know, you have to realize there's no black and Uh, white. There could be red flags, you know, whatever they say could be a red flag to you or to everyone else. But essentially, it's aligning, aligning your interests and beliefs uh, and goals with the interests and goals of that operator. And if those two align, then this potentially might be an operator whose deal you want to conceive.
0: Absolutely. You know, in my in my experience, I've, I've made a handful of investments with different uh, syndicators in the past. I've syndicated uh, a property and I've worked with a lot of syndicators uh, here at the firm. Mm-hmm. And uh, just from your experience, which, you know you had mentioned that you know, one of the questions you need to ask the sponsor is what, or the syndicator, or the operator rather is um what uh, you know is is to ask what markets are they in and look at are they in markets that are close by to each other? Look at what type of asset classes they're in. Um, from your experience, have you noticed that say uh, say better returns or a better working relationship with a syndicator that is more ge- is, is has their operations more geographically based, like say within the same few cities um, um and also at the same time have you seen any have you seen better returns for those invest for those syndicators that focus only on one strategy rather than say doing multi-family self-storage mobile home parks you know the a mix of different things
2: Sure. And the answer is, it depends, you know, the mm-hmm. typical tax accountant or accountant answer. It, it, it depends. Um, I, it varies. And, I, and I'll tell you why. In terms of the markets, for instance, in terms of the geography. If it's an operator that has taken, let's say, one particular market in their hands and had worked in the market for several years, has established team, has established relationship with brokers, attorneys, um, insurance agents, uh, um, general contractors and so forth, and has the well-oiled machine in that business, the business is already running, they've purchased multiple properties and they basically doing what bigger pockets called BRR strategy where buy, refinance repeat, you know, they buy a property, reposition it, refinance it, and continue to the next one. If that machine is working and they're now looking to go to, let's say they're in Houston, Texas, and now they're looking at Tampa, Florida. Yeah, yeah. While those markets are not co-located, but if one market already has the well-oiled machines and the assets um, are operating more or less on its own and they're just spending a couple of hours on um, observing what's going on. And, and there are multiple partners where one partner may still be heavily concentrating on asset management and repositioning the property, but while another mm-hmm. partner is doing The deal sourcing and looking at let's say tampa i i think it's okay it's fine because um both strategies are taken care of by the partnership there are multiple partners each has their own role and they're fully functioning in those roles but if let's say it's a one-man show and they're looking in tampa in houston in um, Phoenix, Arizona, you know, being all over the place. And just because someone is sending them a deal where uh, the numbers look good, I mean, you're not gonna get far with the strategy. You, you have to concentrate uh, on one thing. And I can't stress enough uh, that concentration. And for those that have a hard time concentrating on one thing, I highly, highly recommend reading Gary Keller, One Thing. The, the book is outstanding. Um, you know, it helps you get focused, it helps you put your mind uh, on more important tasks while giving the less important tasks to other people on your team so that, you know, the work that you're putting in pays off at the end, so very, very practical.
0: Guy, great book, and uh, I still have not had a chance to read, but I've heard very good things about it. So just kind put of Put it on it. your list. Yeah, it's going to be on my list. Uh, it's going to be up there very, very soon. Um, when it comes to you know, kind of circling back to some of the things you had said there, it kind of sounds like what's important is you're looking for that well-oiled machine. You want yep. to see a syndicator as a well-oiled machine. And if they're going to be in multiple markets, you want to look at the team. Do they have a big enough team to support that? And yes. you know, can they replicate what they maybe did successfully in one market in another one? Um, yeah so are they
2: ready to scale they you know they in what's working in this market and try placing it into another market to to build up a similar
0: machine yeah yeah exactly. I think that's why it's kind of hard to give a black and white answer to it because you really have to look at the operations of the sponsor and say, you know how are they currently operating? if they're going to expand into a new market, you have to have trust. That they're going to be able to duplicate that efforts, and they, they have enough staff or enough partners to make sure that they are covering both sides, I guess you could say. Um, absolutely. So w- when you're looking at, after you do the due diligence on the sponsor, um, as a past investor, do you just would you just stop there or are you also going to look at the market as well? And do some market oh, due diligence.
2: Absolutely. I would look at the market as well what market um are they operating in does that market make sense and again i am talking from a personal perspective but typically yeah. things that i look for in the market is the market well established um, if it's a smaller town um other major highways in the area is there access to to the big city to is there infrastructure in the area if I need to access the market, how is it? Is it a direct flight or do I have to take multiple flights? You know, To me, that's, that's an obstacle. I don't want to yeah. be taking multiple flights. I, I want to have direct. Um, is the population growing? Are, are there jobs coming into the area? Will the job market support that population growth? And uh, what's also important are the jobs that are coming into the areas and those major employers Are they the ones that are gonna be staying there or are they gonna be replaced by the next Amazon tomorrow? You know, I I wanna make sure that they have larger hospitals, big colleges, um, places that can support the economy and places that are there to stay for very long term. Um, A lot of people or some people like to go into military towns and while it may work for some demographics, I'm personally trying to stay away from the towns that are purely military and don't have any other uh, prevailing industries simply because militaries again they come and go they could be relocated to another place at some point so um, that's one of the things that I would can see they're only in conjunction with other industries so those are the typical things that I look at the, uh, when evaluating the market got it
0: got you know it, it's kind of you kind of said the same thing along the lines that my mentor always says is jobs 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 you're looking at the markets where are the jobs going are the jobs permanent or the, is there just diversification in the job market Yep. Um. And really, the the job markets was going to drive population. So you de- you would definitely want to make sure that that the that there they are jobs that will be in place for uh, an extended period of time and just won't go away because that could make or break your deal.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um. Now, when it when it comes to the individual, so I guess after you do the due diligence on the sponsor and you say I'm ready to move forward with the sponsor, you look at the market, you say I'm comfortable with the market. Um, what, do you, what type of due diligence do you do on the individual property at that point?
2: Sure. And by the way, in terms of the diligence on the operator, it, it's not only about that um, questionnaire, you know, Q&A. Uh, yeah. it, it's also asking for references, speaking with prior passive investors, if possible, if those investors allow that, um, checking their background, checking their resume, track record, and so forth. So it's, it's a lot more involved than just giving you stuff on a high level. Um, now, going back to your question about the deal itself. So, when it comes to the deal itself, again, um, some people may say, "Oh, it has uh, 10% cash and cash, and I don't know, 18IRR. Perfect, I'm going." You can't look at the numbers in silos. You have to look at the picture overall. So, when it comes to the numbers, same thing. You you have to look at all of the numbers together. 18% IRR can can mean multiple things. You know, it, it can mean that you're getting cash at the beginning, or it can mean you can get a significant chunk at the end, or you know, it does yeah. not tell you the full story. So always look at the picture overall. Cash on cash, annual return, equity multiple. Uh, look at the whole time. Look at the underwriting that's there in a offering memorandum. Um, how, how that's done. Look at uh, what type of vacancy are the operators projecting? Um, are they saying that, let's say what one of the red flags that would be a red flag for me, for instance, if they're saying that the vacancy will remain at um, five to 10% and we need to do significant repositioning. If you're buying, let's say, 100 doors property and you wanna do significant repositioning, your vacancy will uh, absolutely not remain at five to 10%, okay. at least at the first two years. It, it should be, in my estimation, or maybe higher, at least first year round, maybe second year you can do better. But, um, you know, you you have to be realistic. If you're putting a lot more emphasis on the first year to do that heavy repositioning, then again, that vacancy should be higher and you should have enough cushion in your reserves to cover for any unforeseen circumstances. Also look look at the expenses and how the expenses are progressing, how the rents are progressing. Are the operators saying that we, we're going to be increasing rents by 5 to 10%? Again, the area is supportive of that, the geographic area, then maybe again but if the area is not if you need to lower the numbers if everyone else is increasing rents by two to three percent then there's no way you're going to be going to five or even ten percent so look at things like that also look at the strategy overall what is uh operator projecting they're going to be doing um are they going to be changing units completely or are they just going to be replacing doing some touch-ups maybe uh, some paint um, and major, maybe changing the doors and windows, or they changing the kitchens, bathrooms, and so forth. But they also may be replacing roofs or uh, building a, a kids' playground or something else. So look at those things. Um, come up with an estimate as to how much do you think those things may cost, or maybe ask a, a local contractor and see. If in a ballpark, the number that they have in their offering memorandum um, agrees with what you have. Again, the, the number may be different, but you know the ballpark should be. If in your estimation it should cost sixty to eighty thousand, but they only allocated for the renovations, let's say twenty to thirty grand, then obviously there is some disconnect, and that doesn't mean it's a red flag, but it's something to ask the operator about um so look for things like that look, read the, what their strategy is overall how long are they planning to uh, hold the property um how many exit strategies that they have um what other options they have what kind of loan are they getting is there an interest only component in the loan are they getting a bridge loan or is it just a long term is it recourse and non-recourse how long the partners have been in business have they always used the same um, bank or are they using different bank and so forth so just um, uh, read on a document and come up with a list of questions and then go over your questions with an operator um unless those questions are really answered through the webinar that most of operators are doing these days and typically try to cover the, the majority of the q a um and, and in general, you know, the, the more uh, reviews like this you do, the easier it will become down the road. It may be uh, harder at the beginning, especially if you're not familiar with the financial terminology. But um, as you get uh, more and more into syndication, start investing and looking at, you know, 10, 15, 20 up offering memorandums, um, it does get easy and you start spending less and less time on it because you, you, you understand uh, how to read these documents
0: over there? Got it, got it. So you have to, you have to. <clears throat> there's a lot that goes into to evaluating the property. I mean, at the end of the day, I would say for the listeners out there, definitely the sponsor is definitely the most important part. So I definitely agree with that there. Um, if you're if you're investing with a good sponsor, they're going to already pick out the market, or they should already have a good market in place. Um, they should already have. They should already be picking out the property and doing a lot of things that Alina had just mentioned. But if you're going it alone, uh, if it's your first time, you definitely want to uh, seek advice from from mentors or coaches or people like Elena, who's who's done this before, people who are experienced in, in picking out these properties and have success. Um, so, Elena, I know you you do. Uh, what would you what would you say your best uh, your best two to three tips are uh, when for people out there who may be listening to this who may who may already have been a passive investor and now looking to perhaps raise capital for, for 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 these types of syndications. Do you have two or three tips that you could throw out there for, for those listeners?
2: Uh, I would say um, grow your brand and also um, work on a relationship. Real estate is a relationship business. So if, if you start building relationship early on, before you even have any deals to to invest in. Um, And just talk to people, explain what you do, how you do it, show your track record, show the track record of uh, the people you're partnering up with um, and be patient with it, then uh, the network will follow you. And you, you also need to be bringing value to other people. So if investors are reaching out to you with questions, you should be able to answer those questions. If you're not in a position to answer the questions, if you don't know the answers, then I would say spend more time on educating yourself, understanding how the process works, um, understanding how um, the, the understanding the investment life cycle, and uh, continue picking up the pieces of um investing syndications and, and until you have a full grasp and it's okay to tell investors i don't have the answer for you i'll have to get back to you on supplies but you need to be able uh to explain majority of the things in the syndication business and know how it works uh so it's it's a people business so establish and build relationship with other people And the first thing that should come out of your mouth is typically, how can I help you? Because you're there to help these passive investors. You want to help them build their wealth. You're not there to take their money. You're there to help them multiply their money and make more so they can build the wealth passively while concentrating on other things that are more important to them. So make an emphasis on that.
0: Got. It. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, when it comes to other forms of passive investing, uh, have you ever explored any other forms of passive investing? And if you are, if you did, are you involved with any currently?
2: Sure. So I, outside of real estate, I've I looked at other asset classes uh, that also offer passive investing, things like, for instance, oil and gas, hemp investment, um, then assisted living. Um, I have invested personally in assisted living, and while there is some real estate component, (coughs) excuse me, um, a huge piece of it is the operations. It's it's a big business, so um, I consider it an alternative, and it helps to diversify portfolio, and I always encourage other people to look into uh, diversifying their portfolio so they they have a balanced portfolio at the end of the day.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's great advice. So uh, g- given your tax background um, and also the you know, you're know in real estate syndication, what are some tax strategies that you use to minimize taxes?
2: Sure. Uh, the most common strategy we implement is buying value-add um, assets mm-hmm. and repositioning them. Um, that brings the depreciation effect, especially in the first and the beginning few years, and allows us to have passive losses at the beginning versus passive income. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, especially when properties are older, we typically employ the help of cost segregation experts, yep. and and we, um, you know, which allows to use the benefits of accelerated um, depreciation as well. And um, aside for that, I personally haven't invested in opportunity zones uh, because I was looking for the laws to be finalized. I know they have been recently finalized. Um, I think it's a viable strategy, especially for someone who looks to defer significant gains. Um, I I think it's definitely um, an opportunity, and I would strongly encourage people to look into
0: that. Absolutely. Opportunity zone is a big, big, big opportunity. No pun intended. was going on right now. Uh, it took a little while for the IRS, it took more, a little longer than a little while, it took them about yep. two, two years or so uh, to finalize those regulations, it made it tough on people to move forward. But there is certainly opportunity there for tax savings. Um, when you were, you, you, you talked about the cost segregation studies, which is, uh, for, which is a lot of syndications do cost segregation studies and pass through the passive losses. Uh, to their investors and there's often times I get these type of uh, questions from our syndication clients all the time and they ask uh, my investors asking me you know they're a doctor dentist lawyer whatever the case is uh, can they use the passive losses to offset their w-2 income do you get that question a lot too
2: yeah I do I do and it takes a while to explain to people that you know you can only offset your passive income against passive losses not your w-2 income.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's why we have the real estate professional status for some folks. And we're not going to go into that too much today. We've, we've beat that to death in other episodes. But
2: sure.
0: um, yeah, I just wanted to, to let everybody know out there, you're listening. If you are a full-time W-2 employee or you run a full-time business outside of real estate um, and you invest in a syndication, you will not be able to use the passive losses against your ordinary income, at least while you're in the deal. Uh, there, are, there is an opportunity when the deal liquidates that those passive losses will be unlocked. But that's not until the very end. So if unless
2: you're... unless you have a spouse who is either not working or working part time, and can potentially show that they have been engaged in real estate 750 hours, whether they're agent or another capacity, and they have been actively managing your properties, in that case. Um, you might be eligible to claim a real estate professional status.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's spot on. That's spot on. And the key there is the active participation in a rental portfolio. So it's commonly what we'll see to your point, Alina, we'll, uh, is we'll see perhaps a couple um, who, uh, one of them is working full time. The other one starts building a rental portfolio. And then what we can do is uh, depending on some specifics, some technical details, which we won't go into, but uh, there is a, Possibility of being able to group together your passive investments together with your active investments um, to to mitigate those taxes, which is which is exciting, but yep, it's complicated. Exactly. exactly. Um, so uh, we we always ask everybody this question, and it's what is your favorite technology or software you're currently currently using in your business?
2: Favorite technology, um, I think Gmail. It helps me connect faster to my audience i I guess yeah as uh, rudimentary as it sounds i i like uh, gmail the most um it has failed me much fewer times than any other software that i'm using but uh, obviously i'm using a lot more you know there's crm system there's project management system uh there's uh, instant messaging i I mean uh, too too many systems to to list but yeah I, i guess email
0: Got You know, we, we love Gmail. We love G Suite over here, too. So can never, uh, never fault someone for loving Gmail. Yep. Um, what, what, is our, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you or learn more about what you have going on?
2: Sure. They can find me on social media. They can type my name, alinatrigob.com, or they can type my company name, samofinancial.com, or find me on LinkedIn, BiggerPockets, Facebook, or Instagram.
0: And, and, and for, for everybody out here who's from New York, who's listening from New York, yeah. I, I think you do, you do have a you do have a uh, meetup. A yes, I forgot to it.
2: mention. Yeah, I have two meetups. One is locally to me in, in northern New Jersey. The other one is in the city. So for anyone who is in Tri-State area and would like to join our meetups, uh, we're on New York meetups quarterly and uh, New Jersey meetups monthly. So yeah, welcome to join us.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today and walking our listeners through how, you know, what aspects of due diligence they need to be doing uh, when making a a passive investment syndication. I'm looking forward to releasing it. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Thomas Castelli here today for the debrief portion of today's podcast. I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. As Alina and I discussed on today's episode, evaluating the sponsor is arguably the most important part of the due diligence process before making a decision to invest in a passive investment opportunity. Their track record is key. You want to be sure they have a consistent track record of delivering strong returns with the property type and the investment strategy they are offering. While market and property level due diligence are still important, if you choose the right sponsor and the sponsor is the operator, generally speaking. They will have already done most of the heavy lifting for you, and now you're just verifying. In the end, it's the sponsor who's going to be operating the property and who's going to be responsible for your hard-earned capital and providing you a return on your investment. A good sponsor could turn a bad situation around. Meanwhile, you could have a solid property in a great market, and a bad sponsor could just tear it all down. Like famous investor Warren Buffett says, it's got to be a management that I like, trust, and admire. We all know that Warren Buffett puts a big emphasis on the management team whenever he makes an investment. And really, while you're investing in real estate syndication, it should be no different. Management is key. And today we have a question from Amy. And Amy asks, if I'm overseeing the construction of my primary residence, will those hours count towards the real estate professional status? And the answer to that question is generally no. In order for hours to count towards the real estate professional status, they must be worked in a real property trader business. And while construction is certainly a real property trader business, unless you are in the business of constructing, then those hours won't count. Now if you are in the construction business, there may be some tax planning opportunities where you can qualify those hours that you're spending overseeing the construction of your primary residence. It'll probably come down to the timing of the purchase and exactly how the transactions occur. But there may be some opportunities in there, so you'll want to speak to your tax advisors to see if that situation is something that applies to you. And remember, folks, if you want to have your question answered here on the Real Estate CPA podcast, head over to www.therealestatecpa.com podcast, drop your question in the box found on that page, and we may just answer it here on the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Thomas Castelli signing out, and we'll catch you next
1: week. Thanks for listening to today's show.